This is Jeff J. Brown, Chandra's Radio Sign the Land with Erie Tarno. Just returned from beautiful, exciting, interesting Russia. How are you doing, Eric? Uh, fine, thanks, Jeff. Uh, it's been uh, great talking with you and uh, you know interacting with all kinds of people. This afternoon, in fact, I uh, I was at a coffee shop with a couple of Chinese people, and um, I saw another woman come in. And I mistakenly, I, I mistake, mistook her for a Russian woman that I had met at some other event. And I went up to her and I said, uh, excuse me, are you Russian? She says, da, in that, you know, she, she was not the same, she was the wrong person, but we had a very interesting conversation. Okay. So, so this, this is life in Chiang Mai. Yeah. <laughs> you never know who you're going to run into. But uh, let me, let me launch into this because... Uh, Basically, Jeff, what I want to do is um, use my um, my photos as a um, kind of a, a cheat sheet, you might say, for my experiences and impressions in Russia. And um, in our earlier conversation, I talked mostly about my coming to Moscow, and I'm going to continue on with that because there was more stuff that happened in Moscow uh, that I didn't get to yet. So I'm going to start off actually with the um, we talked about the um, uh, Stalin's Bunker 42, which was a bomb shelter started by Stalin during World War II, and uh, it was not completed until after he died, but um, this was at the height of the Cold War, and so, they, so the Soviet leadership decided that they needed a, a, an atomic bomb-proof bomb shelter. Um, along with a, a, a bomb, a, a missile launching, or a bomb, I guess you could say, a, a counterattack launching uh, facility. So, um, and part of this, part of this presentation, this exhibition in this, uh, this uh, museum, is a simulated attack on the bomb shelter itself. So, uh, hang on to your seats, folks, and uh, I'm going to start off with that. We're in a tunnel and the lights are flashing on and off and you can hear a, uh, the announcer saying, you know, uh, you know, hold on to your hats and kiss your ass goodbye, basically. Um, so, um, Okay, so that's that. Uh, I hope that gives you a taste of uh, what's going on there. Um, let me, uh, let's see. Do you, do you still see me on screen, Jeff? Uh-oh, now I don't hear you. Uh, I, muted, I, I muted my microphone just so I wouldn't have any background noise. 
All right. Okay. So, okay. So um, now what I'm going to do is go through. Uh, I'm assuming that you can still see me. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Great. Okay. So uh, uh, let's see. Uh, so in the in the bunker, this museum, uh, they had you know they had a place where uh, security was extremely tight. Uh, this bunker lasted, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, and uh, they never had a they never had a breach of uh, security. But the security was very, very tight, and they there was a specific place where they they say, you know, your documents, please, this sort of thing. Um, and then um, uh, then they took us to this room where uh, there's a screen where it shows the um, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, it shows nine seconds to impact, <laughs> which is well. You, you can't see it because it's. Well, I'll, you know, I'll, put, I'll, put, I'll I'll splice it into our show. Right. Okay. So it shows nine seconds to impact. They show a blast-proof door, um, and um, so that was the uh, that was the uh, the bunker forty-two. Uh, the next thing that comes up here is that. Um, uh, I had met uh, this fellow Kirill uh, through Couchsurfer, which is this online app that you can meet people in foreign countries. They have a they have a couch that they're willing to let you use. They want to see foreigners. Foreigners want to meet people in the home in this country, and so we became good friends. And he uh, basically gave me the use of his apartment um, for about ten days. And uh, one day I showed up, I, I came back to the apartment and uh, this a side of salmon showed up in the refrigerator. And usually when you think of salmon, it's this kind of light orange or pink kind of thing. This is deep, deep red Kamchatka uh, Peninsula salmon. So <laughs> when salmon is living in its natural habitat, not in farm situations, which is what region salmon is, and a lot of, uh, a lot of, basically most of the salmon that's sold nowadays. But if you get the salmon that is living off of the real sea creatures that, that um, come in, in natural environment, you have a completely different product. It, it's, the color is more intense, the flavor is more intense, and it's just really something special. Um, and I wanted to, and I should expand on that because if you go to, you know, you hear about sanctions, you know, Russia's under sanctions and, and I'm hearing stories about Great Britain where there's, uh, uh, you know, there's serious shortages of food. They're even rationing fruits and vegetables in, in Great, in England. And you go into a supermarket in Russia and it's packed with everything you could possibly want. So um, I'll be showing a couple of pictures of that as well as we move forward. Yeah, I'll splice. I'll splice. I'll put all these pictures in uh, the uh, in the in the in the written transcript. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the next uh, thing I wanted to talk about was uh, my return to Trechikov Gallery, and um, there's a there's a there's a you know amazing um, pictures in there. There's one particular. Um, image of uh, a painting of Leo Tolstoy. Um, 
and uh, there's other... well, wait, Eric, before you get going, so what you're saying then is in Russia, there's no food shortages when you went to Absolutely. the grocery stores. Absolutely. Not only was there not a food shortage, there was a food glut. <laughs> there was more choices of what you could ever possibly want than anything I've ever seen, certainly in Thailand. I don't know what it's like now. I went to one one uh, supermarket um, near my friend Kirill's place. Um, I wanted to buy him a bottle of wine to, you know, express my thanks. And there was like four aisles of different kinds of wines, not to mention liquors from numerous different countries. Yeah. And that was just the wine section, you know. So uh, it's it was amazing. Um, Anyway, um, uh, I mentioned yesterday that uh, my friend Tonya helped me get a uh, a refund from from Aeroflot Airlines. Yeah. And after that, I I said, okay, Tonya, let's go to a real Soviet restaurant. And uh, of course, the Soviet Union is no more, but there is a lot of sentiment for the Soviet Union, so. Uh, we went to a Soviet-themed restaurant, and on the wall is a picture. It's like a it's a um, uh, a poster, basically, of you know various uh, fraternal peoples of the Soviet Union. And when I talk with Soviet-era people, I say, you know, well, what was it like? And they said. We, we had a country, we got along with everybody, everything was fine, and um, it was peaceful, there was no conflicts, you know, Ukraine, these were our brothers in Ukraine, and our brothers in the Central Asian Republics, and so on, and you can see that depicted in these kinds of posters, and so it's not just a poster, it's like people's actual lived experience, and uh, the reason I bring it up is because uh, we're facing so much divisiveness, in the world, uh, in our own countries, between countries, like everybody is a war of all against all here. And um, there was a period of time in the Soviet Union when it just wasn't like that. Um, now, um, lurching on here, um, when you're in Moscow, you never really know who you're going to meet. And there's a a very famous street in Moscow called Arbat Street, and it is a kind of iconic um, tourist tourist attraction where they have a lot of souvenir shops and things like that. Well, I ran into two very interesting people, um, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, <laughs> standing there, and um, I thought, well, you know, I just take my picture with them. So, well, needless to say, they are cutouts, um, you know, and they're standing, they're basically there waiting for, it's a photo opportunity for tourists, and, and I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Well, I would, too. I'd like to be pictured with Vladimir Putin and uh, Xi Jinping uh, with my arms around them. That'd be cool. Right, exactly. Yep, well, there you go. That's what was happening. Um, so, um, now the other thing that's really cool about uh, Moscow especially, and I think other cities too, is that um, in the, on, both on the streets and in the, um, in the, um, the metro stations, that is the subway system, 
there are a lot of street musicians and they're they're just playing their stuff. I'm gonna see. I don't know if I can do this. I'm gonna try and see. Okay, well, that's I get it gives you an idea, and and they're singing along in in the um, in the station, so that was pretty pretty cool. Um, okay, um, next um, I mentioned that um, I had gone to the uh, Victory Park and Victory Museum. So um, what I've noticed is that there's this is my impression, and I could be wrong, but my impression is that uh, the perception of Russia as a country and of the Soviet Union very significantly based on whatever generation a person's in. And the almost every Soviet-era person that I've met, with very few exceptions, has a very positive view of the Soviet Union. After the Soviet Union fell, uh, the West swooped in and stole all their money, and they also changed, radically changed the education system to basically say the Soviet Union was bad and everything about the West was good. Well, you know, recent events have made it pretty clear to a lot of Russians, especially the younger generation, that is the generation that's up and coming, is that uh, things are not exactly like what their older brothers and sisters were told. And so um, in the Victory Park, I was um, walking along and there were these, uh, these tents where you could, um, uh, you know, meet some of these people and they have, they have little exhibitions of, of um, um, I guess you could say military paraphernalia. We talked about this last time. And so uh, this picture of these, I have a picture of these three teenage girls and um, I had a nice chat with them with my limited Russian. So that was that. Um, let's see, let's move on here. Um, uh, yeah, um, Victory Park is uh, unique because it also shows both the uh, triumphs of the, uh, of the uh, Soviet Union, but also of uh, the uh, triumph of the uh, of Russia over Napoleon and also the um, the triumph of the revolution. So you get a sense, what they're doing is they're giving people a historical sense of what Russia is about. You know, it gives historical context, giving actual, you know, experience. And one of the things that they have there is they have a French arc of triumph 
um, because <laughs> yeah, because uh, you see Napoleon in uh, in the NATO you know it was it was this is NATO circa 1812. <laughs> yeah, okay, for for those of you who don't get my joke, um, Russia was not invaded in by Napoleon in 1812 by just France. There were other countries that were invading Russia. Um, like Germany and um, Poland and other countries. This, this NATO thing, you know, this has been going on for hundreds of years. And Russia's <laughs> getting just really, really tired of it. Um, but they wanted to kind of troll France, so they put up an Arc de Triumph in Victory Park. Um, and uh, let's see what we've got coming up here. Then we just, it talks about uh, some of the uh, the history of this, how how um, Napoleon, you know, en entered Moscow uh, thinking that he was going to conquer Russia by conquering the capital, and instead a fire broke out, destroying the city, but it also destroyed his support base. In other words, he was planning to live off the land. Uh, it was scorched earth, and as a result, the French army had nothing to live on, and so they were starving and freezing in the middle of winter, and they had to march back to France. And of course, the Russians uh, had uh, in, had um, enlisted General Winter, so to speak, to harass them, along with the Russian military, the Russian army, that chased them all the way back to Paris. So um, Europe, wake up. <laughs> Russia doesn't start wars, they end wars. And not in a way that you Europeans would like to experience. Uh, let's see, what else have we got here? We've got some uh, great posters. Uh, Soviet era posters, I think, are the most, they're, they're really terrific. I got pictures of Stalin and Dzerzhinsky, who was the, the founder of the secret police, who was tracking down um, czarists and other opponents of the revolution. And um, as an aside, if you're if you're willing to do a little searching on YouTube, there's a there's a series called the um, what's it called the uh, the Avengers, um, and it's it's a it's a Soviet TV series um, about these teenagers who who are in the Cheka, which was the secret police, who were tracking down um, czarist. Um, you know, troublemakers. So anyway, a lot of interesting stuff you can still find on YouTube. Um, uh, as I mentioned, there's a lot of um, uh, posters and, and inspirational pictures. Uh, I guess you could call it social realism. And one of them is this very iconic picture of Mother Russia holding up, a, holding up her hand and it says, you know, Mother is calling. Because uh, when the when the Germans invaded, not just the Germans, as I say, but um, the uh, the previous iteration of NATO, uh, Germany, Hungary, Romania, Finland, um, uh, various uh, Swedish and Netherlands contingents that were in the SS. Um, yes, there were there were volunteers in the SS of these Western European countries, and. Um, so, you know, when uh, in 
in June 22, 1941, when Russia is invaded, uh, there's this call to, you know, our country is under a severe attack, it's kind of life and death, we've got to get it together. And so there was a tremendous amount of uh, motivational stuff that was going on there. Um, okay, next, once I got to the, the end of the Victory Park, uh, is the Victory Museum. And the Victory Museum is also very interesting. It's the largest mu military museum, I believe, in Europe. It has the largest um, collection of, of uh, World War II era. Um, um, I don't know the word is momentum, mementos, mementos, or um, um, items that were used in the war. You know, rockets, um, machine guns, uniforms, medals, all these uh, kinds of things from both both Russian and the uh, the Axis side, and. Um, and they also have some very interesting videos, one of which is a video that is, it's basically just um, a, uh, it's panning um, hundreds of average Russian people. And it's playing a, a Russian era, a, a World War II era song uh, that um, kind of memorializes these people. So you get a sense that this is this is a big deal for them. Um, I want to just I just ran a few numbers here. Um, um, Pearl Harbor happened on December seventh, nineteen forty one, and around three thousand people died that day. Um, during the entire World War Two, the United States lost. 400,000 people over the course of a war that went um, from the um, the uh, Pearl Harbor attack until the the um, the act the, until the the not the Japanese but the Germans were killed. So it's about it's a little over 1,200 days, and it works out that about 327 soldiers because they were basically soldiers, not civilians. U.S. was never attacked physically. About 327 U.S. soldiers died every day, which is pretty terrible. Um, by contrast, the Soviet Union uh, was attacked six months earlier, and so their war lasted about uh, six months longer than the U.S. war lasted. They lost about somewhere around 27 million people, which amounts to 19,000 people dead every day. Yeah. 19,000 people killed every day for f over four years. And American people do not understand what real war entails. They see pictures of it, they may see videos, many of the, a lot of the stuff they see may not even be factual, it may be distorted, but they really don't understand what is involved here. And um, when, when our government goes to war against Syria or Libya or Somalia or Afghanistan, um, 
to us, it's just, uh, you know, something that happens on television. It's not something that happens to other human beings. And Russians understand this. So in the uh, Victory Museum, in, in addition to the uh, exhibition of what happened in, in uh, World War II, uh, they also have exhibitions of what has happened since then. And um, the, uh, they, they have an exhibition showing uh, NATO in Afghanistan. They show pictures of Banderist in World War II. These were the, the Ukrainian um, collaborators with the Germans called the uh, Organization of um, um, of Ukrainian Nationals. And these were people who carried out numerous atrocities, you know, just really horrific uh, atrocities. And um, and then they show pictures of flags of Bandera people. Now Bandera is is honored by the Ukrainian, the modern Ukrainian state. So this is something that people really need to get their head around. And um, uh, there's a lot of resistance to that because Americans just, we have this view of ourselves as these innocent people. And I, I was talking with the woman, this Russian woman today, she's 25 years old. And uh, I said, we were, I said, you know, um, I support, you know, I, I have great sympathy for Russia because I, I understand your history. And she, and she said, yeah, well, you know, um, people have different ideas about what is going on in Ukraine right now, but, you know, my my understanding of her, what she's saying is that this is America's war. America started this war. Um, and in her opinion, uh, she said, well, Russia didn't really need to need to respond in the way it did. And I said, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. And she says, yeah, there's a lot of people, there's people who also agree with your position. Um, so uh, what I'm suggesting is that the uh, Russian population is not monolithic. You know, people have different ideas about what is going on and, and so on. Uh, to give you an example of, uh, of what I'm talking about here, um, I think I may have mentioned, I went into a travel agency and this woman said to me, uh, oh, I'm going to America next year. And I said, don't go, you know, America is, <laughs> America is a mess, you know, I mean, they're spending all their money on Ukraine. And meanwhile, there's tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of homeless people. Um, the society is disintegrating. And, you know, just you, you've got this idea. And she was she was tearing up. It was as if I was telling an eight year old that there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> and she finally, you know, politely kicked me out of the travel agency. <laughs> so you've got, you've got that. And this, she's probably around, she's probably around 30 years old. So people have different ideas of what's going on. And um, um, as I, as I continued through, uh, through Russia, 
um, after uh, I wanted oh I wanted to mention there were some other other museums that I went to. Um, one was the Museum of Books, and this museum uh, has original copies of like Madame Bovary, you know the famous French. Oh, yeah. it, has, it has a an original copy of Cybernetics, um, which is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, by this was written in 1948 and it was called something like control and Ma manipulation of animals and machines which is pretty scary you know um, animals and machines he doesn't he doesn't talk about human beings he says control of animals and machines cybernetics so um, you can kind of see the roots of of where we're going with this whole you know, technological revolution or devolution. Um, another um, museum I went to was an exhibition of a very famous uh, Russian photographer who showed, he did many uh, Soviet era photos, you know, classic photos of the, the crown of the czars and these kinds of things. And um, um, there was another exhibition of honoring people who built the metro. Now the metro is the subway system of Russia, of, of, of Moscow. And uh, it's, it's a, it was started in the mid thirties, I believe. And the, uh, the original stations were basically art museums. Yeah. You know, they, they had uh, mosaics of Soviet themes and pictures of Stalin or pictures of Lenin, pictures of the fraternal peoples of the Soviet Union, these kinds of things. And uh, just just works of art, actually. It's like being in a museum, literally. Um, and uh, But it took tremendous effort to do this. And the, the original intent of it was not just to create a metro subway system. It was also creating a bomb shelter yeah. for the Russian population because during World War II, the, the Germans were bombing Moscow and people had to stay in the, in the subway system. So when you, some of these subway stations, you're going down these, these uh, escalators and it's down, 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 <laughs> down, down, down. You cannot believe how far down these stations are. Some of them were built below the Moscow River, and this is like the engineering that went into this is just phenomenal. Yeah. So uh, I think I'll I'll probably end it there because uh, my next um, the next stop on my journey was to Lake Baikal, which is the oldest. Uh, it's like thirty million year old lake, the deepest lake in the world. It's they don't even know how deep it is um, because it's at least 3,000 feet deep and there are parts of it which there's silt and they don't know how far down the silt goes. So this is a very, very old lake and it's got, um, you know, it, it has um, life forms that are seen nowhere else in the world. Um, and so I was fortunate to go there. I stayed on an island. The, this, this, this lake is so big that there's actually an inhabited island with 140,000 people living. Wow. Um, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, this is pretty amazing. 
So uh, I went there and then I spent time in Irkutsk, the city, uh, which I'll, I'll talk about Irkutsk, you know, in a future video, which was also very interesting from the, from this examination of U.S. Uh, Russian relations, talking with Russian people and experiencing what that was, what, what that's like. And you also went to Volgograd too, didn't you? Well, following, following Irkutsk, I went directly to St. Petersburg. Oh, okay. I stayed in St. Petersburg for a couple of days and met up with a guy who I've known for several years through Regis, Regis Trembley. Yeah, our and, uh, mutual friend. Yeah, mutual friend. And he is a, he's a real, you know, he's a very interesting guy. He was, a, I asked him, you know, what kind of work did you do? He said he was a, a biologist. I said, well, um, so tell me more. He says, well, I was a biologist, but at a certain point in my career, uh, I was a, I was involved in genetics. He said, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I completely focus entirely on geopolitics. Um, he has, a, he said that uh, during the Soviet era, he was a dissident, um, but he realized that uh, at a certain point that um, he made a mistake. You know, he didn't realize what the West was really trying to do. And significantly, our mutual friend Irina has said exactly the same thing. Yeah, Irina Boyko. Right. So, um, so I'll, I'll be talking about that. And, uh, and of course, uh, St. Petersburg is just, um, it's, it's amazing. You know, the uh, Hermitage Museum is unlike anything I've ever seen. Well, save it for the next show. <laughs> like, well, no, that's that be that's going to be for the next next show. The next 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 show, right. and then you still got Volga Grad, so you got Irkutsk, Lake Baikal, Irkutsk, Saint Petersburg, and Volgograd. Right, and then back to uh, Moscow. Back to Moscow for some more adventures. Right. All right, well, Eric, this is amazing. I, I what I will do is I will give you a cloud file, a cloud link and you can just upload all of your annotated photos there and i'll splice them all in to, the sh to everything and so that these will be very audio visual and uh and uh also i'll uh, of course have these all transcribed you know into written into written text okay now before you go Jeff, you said if you have any questions you know has anything come up for you well, I would like to know, you know, and maybe today's not the day because, uh, you know, I want you to maybe think about it. But before before we end our your tour of Russia via China, Russia, Radio Sign Land, I would like to also point out that China also lost at least 25 million people, just as many people as the Russians did, the Soviets did in world in, during during their civil war to get rid of the United States and England and France and uh, the Japanese and the fascist KMT, the, 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 the fascist uh, 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 Chiang Kai-shek who was being financed and supported by the Western imperialists. They lost as many people too as the Russians. So if it wasn't for the Chinese and the Russians, we would all be speaking, we would all be speaking German and Japanese. So I, I, I think, I think, and again, even if you add all of the, all of the Americans and the Europeans and the allies and the, uh, Adam all together, civilian and military, it comes out to 900,000 people died during World War II. 
Well, if 50 million, 50 right. million Chinese and Russians died, that's 2% as they lost, they lost, they lost 50 times more people than, than, than the West did. So, right. I, you know, I, I, people, the Chi just like the, just like the Russians, the Chinese understand war because they have been attacked, you know, since the Middle Ages, <laughs> you know, by 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 steppe tribes, you know, the Mongols and, and everybody else. And then the Westerners and then the Japanese and now the Americans, you know, it, it, and, and NATO. So they, too, I think that's why the Russians and the Chinese have such a have such a sense of camaraderie and mm -hmm. return it because they have both been victims of relentless, relentless Western um, uh, uh, aggression. So, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned that uh, uh, when I was talking with my two Chinese friends, uh, we talked that that issue came up and I said, uh, and she, uh, my Chinese friend said something about how long the war, you know, when, when did China get invaded? And I said, you know, China's war was, what was it, eight years? You know, it was initially attacked by the Japanese in 1937. Yeah. Before even uh, the Soviet yeah. Union. Yeah, and it went on until 1949. Yeah, it went on until 1949, so yeah. after the Japanese, so yeah. Yeah, well, then they were fighting the Americans and the and the fascist uh, Chiang Kai Shek until '49. So uh, uh, and Korea, and then and then, Korea, and then Vietnam. They were using Vietnam to try to attack China, and it never ends when you're when you're when you, when you've got a target on your back from Western Empire. That's for sure. So the Russians and the Chinese understand that. <laughs> right. So. Uh, well, listen, and also, be, I want you to think about it and maybe take some notes. I do want, before we leave the show, the, do the final show, I would like to just ask you, I'm sure there is everything from A to Z and black and white, but just your general impressions of what um, uh, the various uh, Ru uh, Russians today think about Lenin, Stalin, uh, Khrushchev, um, Gorbachev, and uh, Putin, and uh, so uh, it was, today's not the day, but think about it, and, and, and we'll maybe you know do that as, as uh, you know throughout throughout the show, or dedicate a, a few minutes for you to just give us some perspectives on what people think about these people who had a, a huge impact on the world and the our history and 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 and, and our lives. Right. All right, Eric. Well, I am I am back in the belly of the uh, of the imperial beast. I am back in Oklahoma, my my home state, visiting my daughter, son-in-law, and our and my new one-year-old granddaughter, which I'm having a ball with. And uh, so, uh, uh, let me ask you: Are there are there um, what is it like in the U.S. right now? I mean, you're well, I haven't even left the house. I, I, that I, I just I mean I just took the. I just took the shuttle at midnight from the airport and and uh, I was in Atlanta airport and then Oklahoma City airport and then a shuttle to this house and I haven't left. So mm -hmm. I haven't even been out of the house and I've got I'm having really bad jet lag this time. And so, I'm, uh, but I'm going to get it. I took a six, a six kilometer walk with my daughter and her and my granddaughter in her neighborhood, you know, yesterday. 
but I was, you know, it's a suburban, it's a suburban ranch home neighborhood. You know, it, it's not, it's not, it's not Newark or Trenton or, or Compton or Portland, Oregon or San Francisco or Seattle or whatever. I mean, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is the heartland. And, uh, and so, uh, but I, I'm going to start getting out today uh, uh, and, uh, and see some, but, but again, I, my, family lives in a, in a, you know, I, I, I don't want to say well-to-do, but solidly middle, middle upper class neighborhoods. And so it's, you know, I'd have to drive across town to Mex Mexico town. And then another area where all the blacks live, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, uh, to see, you know, what, you know, what, what, what life is like for the average American. And maybe I will, I'll, I'll let you know, but <laughs> we're going to concentrate on Russia. <laughs> okay. that's what the fans want to know about all right all right eric i'll get this together get i'll give you a cloud file and just start uh, uh, annotate your, your your number your photos and annotate them or put the what you want to say in the type the name of the file and then I'll, I'll i'll and then all the videos that you want and everything and we're gonna we'll get this all put together a nice audio visual tour of uh russia all right all right Jeff J. Brown, China Rising Radio, Sign of Land in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, USA, with my good friend and comrade, uh, Eric Arno in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Bye-bye.